Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. My name is Father Anthony. It's a pleasure to have all of our friends and family on today, Friends and Family Day. We're kicking off a new series, as you see up there on the screen, that's called Happy. And it's going to be based on a passage from Scripture called the Beatitudes, a passage you're probably familiar with. It's eight statements that Jesus made about how to be blessed or how to be happy in life. And what we're going to see week by week is the prescription that Jesus gives us might be different than what the world tells us and what maybe we grew up thinking or what maybe some of us are thinking right now. Now, when it comes to the word happy, every one of us, I think you'd agree with me, if I did a survey on the street and I stopped a hundred people and I said, tell me what it is that you want out of life, I would predict, and you would probably agree with me, that probably nine out of ten, probably 90 out of a hundred, maybe even more than that, would give some variation of, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I don't want problems. I don't want trouble. I just want to be happy. I just want to be content. I just want peace. I just want to be happy. Everyone would agree that that's what we want. Now, how we define happiness is different. So for some people, happiness means like financial security, or it means like a new job, or it means my boss stopped breathing down my neck. For some people, to be happy means a solution to a health problem, or maybe a relational problem or maybe some kind of problem that's existed for years and years and years and it just likes, looks like it's never ever going to end. Or maybe other people would define happiness not as necessarily a solution to a problem, a relational problem, but just a relationship, period. And some people think that happiness is when I find the right one, or when I find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, or some people would say that when I find what my heart is looking for. Other people would say happiness will be when I finally get treated in that relationship how I need to be treated, loved, appreciated, respected, whatever it may be. Bottom line is, all of us want to be happy. There isn't a soul in here who I said, who wants to be happy? There isn't a soul in here that would disagree that you want to be happy. And if you did, you would not be an American. Because the most American thing, it's as American as, Amer as apple pie, is that we believe in this country that every single one of us was bestowed with certain inalienable rights. And those rights are life, Liberty and pursuit of happiness. We wrote it into our Declaration of Independence in case we ever forgot. We all want to be happy. But here's the thing, is there are two kinds of happiness. There's the kind that lasts and the kind that doesn't last. The short term, the long term. The inner versus the outer. The short term happiness, you don't need me to preach to you about that. We are experts at that. Society today has taught us and given us every opportunity to find short-term happiness in as many means as we desire. This is why we overeat. This is why we overspend. This is why some of us drink a little. This is why some of us drink a lot. This is why we do certain things like work and work and work and work because we think that ultimately it'll make us happy. We're good at the short-term happiness. I'm not sitting here preaching to you. I mean, you give me $3.99, send me over to CeCe's Buffet, and I'll show you happy. But the problem with that kind of happiness is it doesn't last. So what we want to talk about in this series is, can I find a long-term happiness? Does that even exist? Is that even like a possibility for me and for you and for us? Like a kind of happiness that like doesn't rise and fall based on the stock market. A kind of happiness that even my boss and his worst mood can't take away. A kind of happiness that can survive the inevitable hardships and storms that life is going to blow our direction. 
Is that possible? Well, I believe it is, and I'm going to take it based on what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain. That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. As I said a minute ago, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage from Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Eight statements where Jesus said, Beatitude means blessed. Okay, where Jesus said, blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger. And he's going to give us eight statements of how to be blessed. And I would say, calling those that passage of the Beatitudes, totally fine. It makes sense. But I'll give you another description that you could easily use for that. You could write at the top of that, eight ways to be happy. And I would, I would argue that what Jesus is saying there is not just a life of blessing the way we think of, but a life of happiness. The word blessed, okay, in Greek is the word makarios, okay? The word makarios is translated blessed right there. And that's a unique word. It doesn't mean blessing necessarily the way we think of blessing. What it means is an inner joy, a self-sufficient joy that sustains itself doesn't need anything from the outside. So this word, makarios, in classical Greek, would be used to describe the gods. Because the gods did not need anyone else to provide their sustenance. So they were makarios in the sense that they possessed consummate bliss in themselves. Also, if anyone here is Greek, okay, maybe travel to Greece, there's an island in Greece, Cyprus, which is known colloquially as the Happy Isle the happy isle. And the reason why it was called that is because, again, it is a self-sufficient island. The idea is that once you make it to Cyprus, you don't need to leave because you got everything that you need right there, and there's never a reason to go outside of there. It is self-sufficient, and it is a happiness provided that endures. That's the kind of Makarios blessing happiness that Jesus is offering us as well, the kind that is self-sufficient, the kind that doesn't rely on your boss, the kind that doesn't matter what happens in the newspaper, the kind that can endure storms, that can endure sickness, that can endure layoff. That's what Jesus is promising to us, and he gives us eight ways to find that kind of happiness. The Amplified Version of the Bible. Because some versions of the Bible say blessed, some say happy. The Amplified Version of the Bible, which gives the detailed meaning for that word makarios, says spiritually prosperous, to be admired, or happy. So in this series, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably, happy or blessed. And I actually kind of like the word happy better because what does blessing mean? Like if you're a really church person, blessing kind of gives the wrong implication because blessed means my life stinks, my life is a disaster, but then you know what? I just kind of lift my hands and say, thank you, God. And I just say, I'm blessed. Even though I don't really feel it, I just kind of say it because it's the right thing to say. I'm miserable. I hate my life, but it's unchristian to say that. So I just say, I'm blessed. That's not the kind of blessing that Jesus is talking about or offering right here. He's talking about the kind of blessing, the kind of happiness that finds satisfaction in the midst of real life. So when I talk about happy in this series, I'm not talking about a, some uh, uh, overly spiritualized denial. I'm talking about real joy in the midst of real life. The kind of joy and the kind of happiness that I've seen in a mother who'd lost her husband and then lost two out of her three children, all separate events. And I see that mother suffering and say, thank God. I don't understand why, but I still trust him 
I'll still serve him every single day of my life. That's happiness in the midst of life. Or I see it in the husband. Lost his job. Doesn't know how he's going to put food on the table. But say, thank you, God. For my wife, my children, my health, everything you've given me. I don't know why, but I trust you. And I'll never turn away from you. That's the kind of happiness. Mother Teresa said this. True holiness, Mother Teresa. True holiness consists of doing the will of God with a smile. I love that. True holiness is doing the will of God with a smile. That's the kind of happy we're talking about here. Not a fake, not a denial, not a life is great when life stinks. It's looking at the things that God, that God allows in my life, the storms of life, and being able to find within purpose, meaning, joy, happiness. That's the kind of life that Jesus is offering us. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah looked out at a group of people who were all longing, just like me and you, to be happy. But they were looking for happiness in all the wrong places. They thought they could find happiness in accomplishments, in financial security, in the pleasures of the night. And Isaiah says to those people, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 and 2, he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Notice what Isaiah did not do. Isaiah did not say, you people are such fools. You people are, 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 are so mistaken. What's wrong with you? You need to repent. You need to stop doing the funny things at night. You need to stop seeking pleasures in this world. You need to repent. He didn't give them a Bible study. He didn't give them a lecture. He didn't yell at them. He asked them a question. And the question is the same question I ask you. Are you getting what you want out of life? Is your life satisfying you? Do you have joy in your life? Is what the bread that you are eating filling you and satisfying you? Because if not, why do you continue to eat it? Why do you continue to drink the water that keeps making you thirsty? That's what Isaiah is saying. And I think he'd say the same thing today. I think if Isaiah was here today, he would go downtown to all the bars and the clubs, which I don't know what street it is, and you shouldn't know what street it is on either. He would go downtown and he would say to them, people, are you getting what you want? You just spent all kinds of hours and money in that place. Are you getting what you want? Are you satisfied? You're good now? Then why do you keep drinking it if not? He'd go to our dorms and our colleges and our universities and he would see the nightlife. And he would say, is this satisfying you? This is filling you? This is making you happy? Let's forget about the dorms. Let's forget about the people downtown. He would go to our workplaces and he would follow us around. We who work 10 hour days plus an hour commute each way, we spend half of our day working so that one day we will have made it and we'll reach that place. We'll ultimately be happy and ultimately be satisfied. He'd say, you've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. Are you satisfied? You got the house. You got the car. You got the phone. You're satisfied? If not, why do you keep drinking it? Why do you keep eating? I think he'd ask it to each one of us who fill our lives, not necessarily with bad things. It doesn't need to be bad things. We fill our lives with all kinds of good things, but the problem is we think those good things are gonna satisfy us. And we think those things are gonna fill us. And in the end, we find ourselves like Isaiah right here talking to these people, still hungry, still thirsty. 
Well, thankfully for the people back then and thankfully for us, Isaiah did not leave them without an answer and Jesus did not leave us without an answer. Jesus gave us a prescription in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five. He gave us a prescription, eight ways to how to find this true happiness, this true joy, this true blessing, eight ways that you can be filled from the inside out, not the outside in. And the thing about these eight things, we're not gonna look at all eight, we're gonna look at five over the coming weeks, today plus four more. Thing about these eight prescriptions that he gave to us is every one of them is what I call upside down living. Every one of them is upside down happiness. Every one of them is the opposite of what we may be naturally inclined to think. So Jesus, for example, says, you won't find happiness in pleasure or in riches or in comfort or in fame. You think you will, but you won't. You will find happiness actually not in riches, but being poor, poor in spirit. You'll find riches not when everything around you is peachy keen, but actually when you learn to mourn. You'll find riches not when you're filled, but when you're hungry. You'll, not riches, right? you find joy. Not when you're, when you're filled, but when you're hungry. You will find pleasure, not when you experience the pleasures of this world, but when you find purity, purity of heart. He flips everything upside down, as was his specialty to do. We're gonna see eight simple statements. Each one of them is so simple, a six-year-old can understand it. But each one is so profound that you could spend the rest of your life and never discover the depth of what it does for you in life. So with that as our introduction, y'all ready to jump in? Eight ways to be happy, eight prescriptions for how to live a true life of blessed. We're gonna see the first one today and the first one sets the tone for all the rest of them. It's upside down living at its best. Whoops, that's not the verse that I thought was gonna be next. Okay, so let's go with this verse. Oh no, we lost it. Oh no, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, there's the one I wanted right there. Was that on the screen the whole time when I clicked it? Oh, I must've clicked it by accident, I'm sorry. That was just seen if you're awake. Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed or happy. We'll use the two interchangeably, all right? Depending on which translation of the Bible. Blessed are, let's read it all together, okay? All together, one, two, three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's our first one. And for some of us, especially maybe some of our college students or maybe our residents who just got out of medical school, we wish the word in spirit wasn't there because if it just said, blessed are the poor, we'd be like, yes, that's me. Okay, I got nothing. And we'd say, this is great. But that's not the kind of poor that Jesus is talking about right here. If it was, some of us would be very happy people, but that's not what it's talking about. He's talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, not poor financially. There's two words for poor in the Greek language, two words for poor. The first word for poor means poor, but not destitute. It means like struggling, but getting by, but like barely getting by, like paycheck to paycheck. Some of you are like, yeah, like normal life. That's how, that's how I live. So that's that first word for poor. There's a second word for poor. And the second word for poor means abject poverty, utterly poor utterly helpless and can do nothing about it. I'll show you the difference between the two. Think of two men who both owe $1 million. Two men who have a debt of $1 million. One man owes a million dollars, but he has $400,000 in the bank account. So he has 400,000, but he owes a million. So he's kind of poor. The other guy has two nickels and a dime. They're both poor in the sense that they can't really pay back the debt but they're not the same kind of poor. Like this guy's poor, this guy's poor. This guy has struggles, this guy has abject poverty. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he did not use this word. He used this word. 
He used the word to say, blessed are those who are utterly helpless, who can do nothing on their own, who need lots and lots of help. And that's the verse that I wanted to show you a minute ago that popped up. John chapter 5, verse 30. This is Jesus saying, I can of myself do nothing. Jesus, I can of myself do nothing. Walk on water, turn water into wine, five loaves, two fish, raise the dead, raise himself while he's dead, while he's at it. Jesus, I can of myself do nothing. If Jesus says that, what should we say? If Jesus says that, what should you and I say? There's nothing more pathetic. You agree with this statement. There's nothing more pathetic, nothing more sorry than to see somebody in great need and not realize it. Someone who's in desperate need and think everything is okay. Wives all over the place are saying, yeah, like my husband when he won't ask for directions. Exactly, exactly. Think exactly like that. Okay, somebody who's just driving himself into oblivion but thinks he's got it all under control. I usually don't like to share too many stories about my, my, my children. Ever since they got older, I try not to share too many stories about them. But Lizzie will allow me to share this one story because she thinks it's a cool story. Lizzie, from when she was very young, my daughter, who's now 12 years old, from when she was very young, her favorite sentence was, by myself, by myself. Okay, and she would say it with a little, by myself. Okay, say it like that. Okay, she had a little, by myself. And you go to ask, like, she's trying to, like, let's say, peel an orange. Okay, and she's like, you know, two, three, whatever it is. And you say, Lizzie, I'll help you. By myself, by myself. Do you want any help with anything? Like tie and learn how to tie your shoe by myself, by myself. Okay, she loved everything by myself. And I'm saying it's funny and it's cute when it's like three-year-old, two-year-old. I think we do the same thing to God. I think God laughs at us the same way. How many of us, I won't ask for a show of hands, but it's everyone, everyone would raise their hand. How many of us have something in our life which we try and we try and we try and we like, no, we got it under control. We just need to try a little bit harder, new strategy, something like that. And we try and we try and we fail and we fail and we fail. How many of us eat more than we want to eat? And how many of you say, well, I'm not going to eat that again. I'm not going to eat that again. I'm not going to eat that. And then we eat that again by myself, by myself. How many of us stay up late when we know we should go to bed? How many of us stay at the office longer than we promised we would? How many of us make a commitment? Make a commitment knowing full well we're not going to keep that commitment. Knowing full well when we say yes. How many of us, our tongue is a little sharp. And we want to control it. We say we're going to control it. And we think it's under our control, but we never actually do. We control a lot less than we realize. And the by myself attitude is something I don't think is just our children. And if it is our children, we know where they learned it from. And what I say today, based on what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the first step to happiness, true happiness, the kind that lasts, is realizing who I am and my great need for God. We're gonna see three ways that we can practice this practically. Three ways that we can practice what it means to be poor in spirit that we can acknowledge our dependence on God and not on ourselves. The first way, as I must humbly admit that I need help. Humbly admit that I need help. I must look in the mirror and say, even though it pains me to say, I'm not Superman. I look like Superman a little bit, but I'm not Superman. That I need help, that I can't do it by myself. Now I know today, 21st century, D.C. metropolitan area, young people, whatever it may be, it's not cool to say I need help from God. The cool thing to say is the opposite. The cool thing to say is, you know, I got it all my own. I got it covered. I'm independent. Religion is for like the dumb people or the suckers or the people who are weak and they just need that as a crutch. That's the cool thing to say. 
And just so you know, those who study kind of history, okay, or kind of go back, that's a very recent thing. This whole idea that I can get by life without God, that's a very recent thing. Go for thousands and thousands of years, and you will see even people who had no clue about God realize that they needed God. And they thought maybe the sun was a God and we need to pray to the sun or the moon or the river or the cows or whatever it may be. They may make up a God. But this idea that I can live on my own without a God, that's a very recent concept. And I would say that we as a society need to look at the results. Because if we just look around, that I got it on my own, that I'm independent, that I don't need help. Depression never been higher. Suicide never been higher. Addiction never been higher. More broken homes, more murders, more crime, more unhappiness. We must acknowledge that I can't do it on my own. I can't handle it on my own. On my own doesn't work. Yes, we as a society, we have more knowledge than ever before, but I would say we have less wisdom than ever before. I would say that we have more money as people, okay, as, as, as individuals, we have more money, but we have less contentment than we ever have before. I would say we have more pleasure, but less peace in our lives. So it's time to admit that on my own doesn't work, that I need help that I need someone outside of me. I can't do this on my own. James chapter four, verse six says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble would be like poor in spirit. God gives grace to the humble. You know what humility does? You know what poverty in spirit does? You know what saying, I'm the poor guy with the two dimes and a nickel? You know what doing that? You know what, what happens when you do that? You open a door. A door is now open. You plug in, you connect to this big, you know those big tanks of water up, up, in the, up in the sky, like those big tanks of water? You take a pipe, a big pipe, and you plug into that. And what's in there is not water, but it's the grace and the power of God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Because when I'm poor, and when I'm helpless, and when I say, I can't do it all myself, then a door to heaven opens. And now all of a sudden in my life, I get the power of heaven. And those who are a little bit humble, a little bit poor in spirit, they have a pipeline like this. Those who say, I got nothing, Lord, without you, they get a big pipeline of grace and power and heaven and the power that comes with it in their lives. But you will never find that without being humble. You will never find that without admitting. Just like you'll never find healing from a doctor unless you say, doctor, I'm sick. You imagine go to a doctor and doctor say, what's wrong? Be like, nothing. You guess, I'm fine. Well, some of us are that way with God, pretending like everything is okay and we can do it on our own. And we can go around pretending, 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 but we never find healing. Poverty in spirit, admitting, is like a shot, back to the doctor analogy. A shot kind of stings and no one likes it, but in the end, it brings healing. And we need the same thing. We need to admit that we need help. We need to admit that life is out of my control. We need to admit that, like, let's be honest. I've tried and tried and tried to fix this and I haven't been successful. We need to admit that there's certain things that are outside of my control. We need to admit when we don't know where we're going and we don't know how to get, even if we didn't know, we wouldn't know how to get there. And we need to stop. It'll always be easier to pretend everything is fine. It'll always be easier to say, I just need to work harder. Always be easier to say, if I just had a better plan or a better strategy, it'll always be easier. I told you all this story one time. I almost got my family eaten by bears one time when we were taking a hike because I was unwilling to admit that I had no idea where we were going because I had no, I got it under control, whatever it was, and we almost got eaten by bears one time. It'll always be easier, to, I'll tell you the story another time. It'll always be easier, okay, to pretend. But it'll always be better to admit 
and open the door to healing and power of God in your life. And that takes us to our second. Not, number one was to admit that we're sick. Number two is to humbly ask God for help. And if you do number one without number two, you didn't really get anywhere. To admit to say, I'm lost, and I don't know what I'm doing, and then just stop right there, man, that's, gonna, that's a depressing sermon. Jesus didn't come to make us depressed. He came to tell us that we're lost and then show us the solution to our lostness. He came to say, you don't know where you're going, and then to say, I do know where you're going, so come follow me. And the second step is to ask God for help. One of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture is a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where St. Paul talks about some of his toughest days on this earth where he had some serious struggles, inner struggles as well as outer struggles. And he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came upon us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. St. Paul was a tough guy. For him to say this must have been serious. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we had despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. I don't know about you. I find great encouragement hearing St. Paul say this. And I know that's kind of like a rude thing to say. Like he was struggling and I'm like, yes, thank you for struggling. But because I know he made it, it's okay. But I feel like, you know what? When I see, like St. Paul was a strong guy. St. Paul one time, was, St. Paul was so strong. One time he was stoned to death or at least what they thought was stoned to death. The people threw rocks at him and they stopped throwing rocks at him. You know why? Because they thought he was dead. They said, it's not worth wasting another rock on a dead guy. And they stopped throwing the rocks. He lay there dead. They went home. St. Paul got up a few minutes later, hours later, whatever it was, shook it off, went back into the same city and did the very thing that they told him to stop doing preaching the gospel. St. Paul was strong. But there was a time where St. Paul said, you know what? It was above even my strength. Beyond measure, we were burdened. Had the sentence of death. Meaning, I thought about calling it quits on this life. I thought about giving up. But, next verse, we had the sentence of death in ourselves why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, past, present, future. Who did deliver, who still does deliver, and we trust that he will continue to deliver. St. Paul says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We couldn't do anything about it. Finally, I said, I can't anymore. I need help. And then I looked up at God. And when I looked up at God, he opened the door. He unleashed the grace and the power of the kingdom of God was unleashed in my life so that God who raises the dead delivered me from death. So you can say it this way. St. Paul would say to you, and I would say to you, and you should say to yourself, if God can raise the dead, if God can raise the dead, God can fix my marriage. If God can raise a dead person, God can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead person, God can raise a dead career. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead dream. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the power of God. That's the grace of God. Anyone can bring good from good, but the power of God is to bring good from bad. And when we are poor in spirit and we admit, I need help, and then we turn to number two and ask God for help, it unleashes his power in our life. But we must ask, and I'll give you a verse here that you can take away, and you can walk away with this verse and hold tightly to this verse, especially if you're going through a rough time. 
Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves, poor in spirit. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's admit that you need help. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's to ask God for help. All your care. If you're taking notes, you circle, you highlight, you bold, all. All your care. All your care means nothing is outside of what you bring to God. Can you ask God for help with your finances? Yes. Can you ask for your health? Yes. Can you ask for your relationships? Yes. Can you ask for the dumbest of dumbest things? Well, is it part of all? Then yes. Anything, no matter how trivial. Find me anything that's outside of all. And I'll flip it the other way around. I'll flip it the other way around. I'll say this, that when you don't pray about those things, when you don't ask God, and basically what you're telling God is, do not bother me in this area. When I don't pray about my finances, I shut the door for God to work in that area. When I don't pray about that little sin that's bothering me, then I shut the door for God to work in that area. When I don't pray about why do I feel this resentful inside? Why does that bother me so much? Why do I lose my cool? When I don't pray about it, what I'm saying is, God, I got this one on my own. I will handle this. I do not want your help. I do not need your help. And all the power of heaven is left outside of that area of your problem. I think of Jesus with the five loaves and two fish, story we all know. Little boy brought five loaves and two fish to Jesus, put it in his hand. He blessed, he broke, and he fed 5,000 people. Jesus was only going to bless what the boy put in his hands. If the boy came with sandwiches in his pockets, no blessing. If the boy would have hidden it, if the boy would have given him like, okay, here's two, but I'm holding on to these other ones. No. Jesus only blesses what we put in his hands. So I ask you, what is it in your life, A, you're pretending is not a problem, and B, you're not praying about, and you're not asking God for help for? I'll even take a bigger step. Have you ever gotten the point in your life? Have you ever taken the step? Don't assume you have, because you may have, but you may not have. Don't assume. A lot of people have, but a lot of people haven't. Don't assume. You ever gotten the point in your life where you said to God, you know what, God? Everything I have is in your hands. You ever said that? You ever prayed that? That God, I'm not holding on to anything. Everything in my life is in your hands. You want my career? Put my career in your hands. You lead, I follow. My relationships, I really want it to be this way. Like I'm kind of holding on and it should change and he should change and she should stop and he should stop. But I put it in your hands. You ever done that? If not, as your friend, as your friend, I'm telling you that you're limiting your happiness in life. Not the short-term happiness. Because what I'm saying, actually, short-term make you unhappy. But it'll give you that happiness within that Jesus is offering. They say there's two ways to make a change in life. There's two ways to change. You either see the light or you feel the heat. And a lot of us, my advice, don't wait for, don't wait for the heat to be turned up. You know, again, the expression that sometimes God got to knock you on your back to get you to look up. My advice, because I love you, 
Don't wait to get knocked on your back. Don't wait for the heat to get turned up. Realize you're the one million dead. You got two dimes and a nickel. And you're utterly helpless without God. Admit you need help. Ask God humbly for help. And then number three, humbly accept help from others. And this might be the hardest one. Because up till now, it was like me in my room, admit God, and I need you, God, and whatever. And what I'm saying is open that door and be willing to receive the help that God sends. And the help that God sends is usually from others. It's kind of like when people say, how come God doesn't heal anymore? Like Jesus used to heal, he used to heal, he used to heal. There's so many healings. You know, Jesus heals just as much as he did before. It's called doctors. It's called medicine. That's the healing of God. And yes, before, when there was no doctors and there was no medicine, then Jesus was the first doctor. Jesus was the first physician, and he used to heal. Now he's like, okay, the doctor's caught up. You know what I mean? I gave them some, not they caught up to God, but in the sense that he gave them. He's like, okay, I'll let you guys do it. I, you know what I mean? Like my hands are getting like you guys, okay? And in the same way that we pray and we say, God, help us, and God, we need you. Did you realize the nine out of 10 times God will send the healing in the form of another person? Because we are made in the image of God. And God is not an independent. God is Trinity. God is relationship. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And because we are made in the image of God, you and I are not independent of one another. We are not. We are all connected. We're all part of each other. Part of this thing called a human race. And in order for us to find healing, we need each other. And you say, Father Anthony, I don't want help from anyone else. I don't want to admit nothing. I don't want nothing from anyone else. And I say to you, I didn't make the rules. It's not my job to make the rules. It's my job to abide by them. I'm not, I'm not saying that I wired you that way. I'm saying God wired us that way. And you either abide by the principles God has wired into us or you suffer the consequences. But there's no other option. St. Paul said, there's a verse, I didn't put it up on the screen, where he said that we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We, being many, are individually, are, are, are one body in Christ. We are members individually, okay, but we are members of one another in one body. What that means is we don't live in a vacuum. The majority of our problems are relational, so the majority of the solution is relational as well. Go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam, when everything was good in the Garden of Eden, what did Adam say about his wife? When everything was good, before there was sin, what did he say about his wife? This is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And he's like, yeah, Romeo, that's good stuff. Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And like, ah, what the best? Nothing better than that. After sin, enter what he say? The woman you gave. We see what he did? See what sin does? Disconnect. No sin, we're one. One flesh, one body. Soon as sin enters, separation. Turf all, not mine. Individual. Put a box around me. Put walls around me. She's the one who messed things up. Look what James says in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, a lot of times we look at this verse and we think it talks about the sacrament of confession. And it, of course, it, it, it refers to it in some sense, but that's actually not, 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 the, not the, the, the essential meaning of it. It's not talking about confessing to a priest here. It's talking about living a lifestyle of accountability and openness and vulnerability with one another. It's talking about remove the walls, put down the walls, 
The one who wants to find, see, there's a difference between forgiveness and healing, okay? You may be able to find forgiveness in your room with your door closed, you praying to God, or you going to the sacrament of confession. Okay, you can find forgiveness, but this is not offering forgiveness only. The goal is not just to be forgiven. The goal is to be healed. Remember, the goal is happy. The goal is blessed. The goal is joy. And the only way to find that, take down the walls, man. Take down the walls and allow yourself to be ministered to by somebody else. Yes, we need God. But God, like I said with the doctor example, God works through others. You say, I don't want others. That's embarrassing. Why should I? And I'm telling you, that's exactly what the devil's going to tell you. He's going to try to convince you. He's going to try to convince you. By the way, if you say, I don't want to talk to others, that's embarrassing. That's the opposite of porn spirit. Okay? It's exactly the opposite principle that we're talking about here is humble and porn spirit. He's going to try to convince you that this right here, this is not a church. This is a courtroom. That's what he's going to try to convince you, that this is not a hospital, that this is a courtroom, and if you let down your guard, people are going to judge you. He's going to try to convince you that if you go to your wife or your husband and you are honest and vulnerable, if you go to your friends, if you go to your parents, if you turn to your sister, if you do that, people will judge you, people will mock you, people will reject you, they will leave you. Or you know what he may tell you? He may tell you it might not even be about others. Sometimes it's about ourselves. He'll tell you, you can't handle opening that door to yourself because you, emotions and you, it's like, ah, it's like, ah, it's, no, don't open that door. You won't be able to handle what's going to come out. Keep that door shut. And I'm telling you, all you're doing is locking yourself into a prison of not being happy for the rest of your life. Church is not a courtroom. Church is a hospital. Church here not to, in the same way that a doctor doesn't yell at a sick person, what's wrong with you? Is nobody in the church yells at the sick person. We embrace the sick person and we see how we can serve and heal that person. That's how God made us. So, happiness, blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first rule of the law of happiness, Jesus said, is poor in spirit. I gave you three ways that you can practice it starting today. Number one, admit that you need help. Number two, ask God for that help. And number three, humbly accept that help when God sends it in the form of other people. That's the process. And the same way that a sick person will never find healing without admitting, without asking, and then accepting help. A spiritually sick, which is all of us, will also never find healing unless we learn to do those same three steps. Last thing I'll say, and if I can be a little bit blunt, can I be a little bit blunt? No choice, but yes. A little bit blunt, and I say this in love. You know that problem that you have that you can't shake? You know what it is. I can say it if you want, but you know what it is. You know what that problem is. That maybe that habit, which may be kind of like an addiction, but you don't want to use the word addiction. So just you say habit. Maybe that fear. Maybe that like can't control my tongue. That lack of self control you know, you know that problem that you have, that I can't let go of. You know that problem. Can I be blunt? You're never going to get rid of it by yourself. Sorry. You're never going to get rid of it by yourself. And you know that. Because as the wise saying is, if you could have, you would have, but you can't, so you 
won't. You could have, you would have. But you can't. So you won't, at least not on your own. But that doesn't mean there isn't a solution. The solution is poor in spirit. The solution is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the power and the kingdom of heaven. Every one of us today need to go and look at ourselves and be honest and say, I'm not Superman. I can't do it alone. I need help. I've been trying. I've been pretending. I've been acting. Willpower. I can. No more. I can't. And then number two, I need to open the door for God to work in that area by saying, God, I know this thing is so dumb. And I know I should have solved this by now. And I really, I really wanted to come to you and say, look, God, I fixed it. I told you I'd fix it. And look, I fixed it. I really wanted that. But God, I can't. I need your help. And then number three, we need to open the door for other people to minister to us and for God's healing to come in the form. Could be the person sitting right next to you right now. Could be the person in your house. Could be the person in your office. Could be the person up on this stage. Could be the person sitting behind you. Don't know, don't know who's going to be. But we need to open the door to God's healing in our lives to other people. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the first step to happiness. And I believe nothing encompasses God's will for your life more than this issue of happy. Again, defining happy the right way. If you walked in late and you, don't, you didn't hear me define happiness, you could get messed up. I'm talking about the kind of happiness that Jesus spoke about, the blessing, that long-term happiness. C.S. Lewis believed in it so much. And C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And I agree with that. That Jesus didn't come to watch us go from short-term happy to short-term happy to short-term happy to short-term happy. He came to do away with all that and say, let me give you the water that you never thirst again, the food that you never hungered. I'm gonna go back to the verse that I showed you in the beginning and I'll leave you with this. John 15, verse 11. These things, these things that you heard here today, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I trust and I hope you do as well that if we follow what Jesus commanded us, we will receive what Jesus promised us. If we follow what Jesus commanded us, poor in spirit, we'll receive what Jesus promised us, joy that remains. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us alone, and you don't just watch us kind of butt our heads against a wall, trying to find happy and joy, but you give us a path, not an easy path, Lord, but a path that you have prescribed, and I pray that you would help me and all my brothers and sisters truly understand what it means to be poor in spirit, to stop thinking that we can do it on our own, relying on ourselves, but to come to you, Lord, to admit we need help, to ask you for that help, and then to be ready to accept that help from whoever you send it. We pray, Lord, that in this series, that you would heal us and that you would allow us to find the kind of happiness and joy that you desire for each and every single one of us. We ask these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.